Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Me and my podcast are proud members of the syndicated C-Suite radio network, the largest network dedicated to the needs of senior executives and others who are looking to get into the C-Suite. Have you ever wondered about these assessments? I mean, they're all over the place. Personality assessments, behavioral assessments, cognitive assessments, IQ assessments. What do they do? How, How do you use them to your best advantage? And more importantly, as a senior executive or a leader of a team, how do you use them so that you can understand how to have conversations, set expectations, Uh, manage perceptions, and make sure that everybody is moving towards a common goal. Well, it's not easy. And a few years ago, if you'd asked me, I would have said, I don't like using them because the results I got were not very good. As a senior HR person, I would often send people um, to leadership training programs, or we would have our own, and someone would be giving them an assessment. And then the person would come back and their performance would dip for up to six months. I didn't understand, but my next guest, Karen Lee, was able to help me understand how to use them well and to get the right results from my team and the leaders in which I was advising. Karen Lee, founder of a company called Narrative, which I am so fascinated to hear more about it. But her specialty is really around personality assessments and using behavioral assessments in your organization to achieve the kind of performance, focus, adaptability, flexibility, and ultimately the profitability in your company so that you can hit your targets, your financial targets. So I want to welcome Karen. Thanks very much for being on the podcast this morning. How are you doing, Karen? Great. Thank you. Good, good, good. So, you know, when I read your bio, Karen, the first thing that stood out is you, you say, I'm a business person. Well, okay. Hamilton <laughs> says, I'm a business person first. Yes. Me, what does that mean to you? And, you know, how does that, how does that work? Okay, because I've been in a unique position, I, my first, I was a math major, actually, and now I'm in the people business, but the first 15 years of my career, I started out programming, I then went to managing programmers, I was basically with a a management consulting company, and we did big projects, like with big bank mergers, big technology conversions, a lot of process work, and what I and so that was my first career. Then I got excited about personality assessments and the people and the talent management because of that work. Everything was so focused on the technology and the process and doing the work, and the people were secondary. And so when I so I was um, working with the consulting company um, at a big bank here in Charlotte, and I was um, partnered up with a manager from the bank, and we um, led a project and a team of people. Well, the greater team that we were a part of had some team building sessions, a couple of them using a big five personality assessment. So we, we were not getting along very well. We were very different. He was an, I was young then, <laughs> and he was older, and we just, we just didn't have a lot in common. And so before we went into those team building sessions, we were struggling a little bit with leading the team and getting along. Well, after those two team building sessions, we were like best buddies. 
So anyway, that was my inspiration for going into the business that I'm in now. And so when I talk about being a business person, when I work with my clients, I know exactly what their issues are when they're explaining them to me. I can put myself back in 15 years of working with clients in real world business situations, right? So that's what, that's why I talk about being a business person first. Oh my goodness. So after that, how did, you know, behavioral assessments, big five, I mean, why did that pique your interest? Well, because, because it was so powerful, you know, how I, how we went from not being productive to being extremely productive and, and quite frankly, happy to work together. So, um, I actually then, after I left the, that management consulting company, I went and found a company that I bought into that actually published pers- big five personality assessments. Mm-hmm. And so I was there for 10 years, grew that company. And then five years ago, I started Narrative on my own. Oh, great. So you know what? You've seen quite a bit, the good, the bad, and the ugly of this. And for many companies, you know, putting in competencies and behavioral assessments and personality assessments is really a, oh, that's nice to have. And and so what now what? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about when it goes wrong. Yeah. So it goes wrong. And what concerns me is when people dabble in it a little bit and then they go out and they get these preconceived notions of what is good and what's bad and what they want and what they don't want. And that's not the point. The point is, is that we need personality diversity in the workforce. We need to, we need all the different perspectives. And it's about how do I use what I have to contribute to the team and towards the team's goals? Mm-hmm. And also, how does my personality fit with my job? And if it doesn't fit so well, what can I do to actually change the way I do my job to make it fit more? But when it goes bad is when people use it as, oh, I'm looking for this particular type of person and that's it. And then they get very homogeneous and and we all know that that's just not the right answer. That too. And I think from my perspective, particularly with people of color and women, the bad for me is when, as you said, the preconceived notion of who belongs here and they stick out like a sore thumb. And so the feedback that comes back is, you know, you need to change this, you need to change who you are, you need to, and it really, you know, as much as we say that we should be focused on strengths, our mind just naturally goes to what's wrong first. Yes, yeah. So, so once, you, <laughs> once you start down that path of you're not like me, this is what makes you different, and in team building in particular, oftentimes the facilitator, or at least what I have seen, because you and I have talked offline, I think maybe even the first time we met, I don't know, it was like 12 years ago or something like that. I told you I wasn't a fan of personality assessments. I have seen where after I've sent high potentials to a, a program that used them, they came back and it took me as an HR person six to eight months to put them back together so that they could start start all over again. And so I didn't know until after giving me a little bit, I don't even think you remember what you said at the moment, but it did stick with me that it's not the assessment. It's the skill of the person who's actually helping you see and their point of view that matters. And that stuck with me because I think that's what you're saying in terms of when it goes right, when it goes wrong. It's really the perspective of the person who is giving it. And too often, people come from a let me fix you. Yes. When we're looking at the assessment and the results, it's all about 
let's talk about who you are, what you like, how you like to work, what frustrates you when you're working with someone else that's, that's different with, from you, and what, what do you do with what you're given? How do you apply this information? It, it definitely requires somebody that knows what they're doing to interpret something, the assessments for you. And what I find is the place where there's most room for conflict is when you're so far apart. But that's also the place where we come up with the, all the different perspectives and we come up with innovative ideas when, we're, when we have those different perspectives. But if I have a team that I've tried to get everybody the same, I'm not gonna get those different perspectives. An example of what see, I think as Steve Jobs says about if everybody's as smart as I am in the room, then some of us are redundant. <laughs> <laughs> And, but that is the essence of it. If everybody thinks like I do, if everybody sees the same perspective as I do, somebody in the room is redundant. Yeah. And yeah. the hardest part, or hardest person to listen to is somebody, this is a Denisism, the hardest person in a room to listen to is someone you've dubbed as a jerk. But fortunately, even quote unquote, the jerk is right at least a couple times a day. <laughs> yes. Listen yes. to that person. Exactly. The opportunity for it. But it takes work. I mean, it takes work to be with people who aren't like you. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it does. But if you have the right mindset, you can mm -hmm. really capitalize on it. And that's what I spend my time doing is working with teams, understanding each other and understanding why they need to think before they talk with someone. OK, where are they coming from? How am I going to get the best interaction out of this? Be intentional before you walk into the room and start working with someone. Remember who you're working with. And yes, it's hard because our natural tendency is to show up as who we are, right? And, and assume everybody else is like who we are. That's one of our issues is we assume and what we need to do is really think and estimate what, where they're coming from, listen, ask questions, and, and be open to other people's perspectives. So that's what I enjoy doing. Yeah, and just so that people don't get it confused, you know, because team building gets tossed around a lot. And for the most part, team building is seen as this thing where we go off in the woods someplace, somebody falls in somebody else's arms, or we climb a tree, or we have this thing, and somebody's sitting there going, well, because you were this way and aggressive and not an assertive, and you know, you need to do this and you know, whatnot. And I have to tell you, I was a very rebellious individual. And so every time we went through that, you know, they always had that fallback. It's a trust test, you know fall back into this person's arms. I'm like, uh-uh, y'all ain't touching me. I ain't <laughs> back on you. It ain't got nothing to do with trust. It has to do with I am in control. <laughs> you, know what? you know how I look at that? Is what? that I really like to look at the job, right? So somebody that's more skeptical, right. we need them for risk management and system testing. And there's specific things that people that don't have trust are really good at. I know that wasn't your point, but it just brought that up to me. No, but there is a place for everyone. And yes. the problem is, is that when I said that, people assumed yes. that I was being skeptical or not participated or not trusting. And for me, it was in my mind, and it, and it took me a while to figure out why don't I want to do this? It has to do with risk. It's not that I think you're going to drop me. I don't understand how that 
connects to the fact that I'm going to have to tomorrow morning sit down and talk to you about the fact that you need to have a conversation with someone who's underperforming. Right, right. We need to look at these numbers differently so that we understand where our best performance is and what are the behaviors you or conversations you need to have so that we get more of it and not less of it. That goes back to that listening. But this team building idea is, you know, it's evolved from we need to learn more about each other to we need to understand how to collaborate, how to listen and accept ideas that may not be the most prominent or the most popular ideas or ideas that may require me to change. Entering 21st century from a leadership point of view, we're still looking at the heroic model. The one guy girl who has all the answers yeah everybody looks up to them like they're you know oh my god you won the lottery and you're gonna share it with the rest of us right right um, today that's not the kind of leadership that's going to help a company um do better and be sustainable particularly through the fact that we're you know in crisis and right now we're sitting in COVID and I mean, I'm watching some of my ex-clients and clients, because they're giving me callbacks, and I'm sure you're getting the same kind of callbacks, talk about what's working and what's not working, and what is senior management actually looking at, and what are they talking about? So help me understand, when you think about and talk about team building, and particularly the perspective of when most organizations you go into, there's a leader who is the one everyone is deferential to, and then the rest of the folks on there are support players. How do you, you know, how do you think about that? What would you do? How would you get to the other side with that and then be able to measure it? Yes, the hierarchical thing, it's still there a lot. I think what leaders are having to find out is it's first about the people. It's first about relationships. It's, um, and then think about the work the the day-to-day and so what I try to do with my clients is is help them first understand themselves then understand each other and this this team and and the team piece is really what we were talking about before is how do we become more productive together how do we apply the knowledge about ourselves and about each other to work together day to day mm-hmm. and to accommodate the differences and, and come out better on the other side. So give so, me an example of when it went well for you. Yeah, when it goes well, I've had a, I had a client that I've worked with several years ago and we've done, we did a team session. The, the leader was having trouble with one of her reports, which happens a lot. There's one or two people that they, they just don't get along with as well and they have trouble. They had very interesting personalities and they both had very kind of extreme personalities. They were different from each other. And so the um, subordinate was going to her boss with everything all the time with a lot of worry. She was not as disciplined, but very much a perfectionist. And the leader was very disciplined, wanted everything to get in on time, etc. They They just needed to understand each other. And we came up with strategies for the person that she, that worked for the owner to to come and give her the work the way she wanted it the way that the leader needed it yeah. but at the same time we also helped the leader understand what the person that worked for her needed as well so they both came up with strategies for both of them to get along better to work together where they were both more content and get more more done also it was the other team players had some of the same issues with the leader Right. So what they ended up doing was learning to work among themselves 
and come up with the approach to approach the leader together. Or so they, they learned to work more together where they were more comfortable and then collaborate as to, okay, how do we bring this to the boss, knowing this is who the boss is and what um, we, that's, that's when it works is when we, we start, they all start to understand where the other person's coming from. And then we come up with strategies for how they work together better on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So, so that was a perfect example of what I call managing up. And yes. often everyone thinks leadership is the person in the position with the title managing everyone down. And there's as much managing up as there is managing down. And I don't mean that people who are down or, or subordinate yes. or inferior or anything like that, but just positionally, it is yes. a hierarchical organization. There's only one person at the top. Right. Um, and so there's, and, and even in the middle, there's one person who makes the decision is responsible for the decision. And if something goes wrong, they're the person who ultimately is responsible for what goes on. So there's a decision maker and then there's support players. And I think what you're saying is, is that when everyone understands how to communicate with each other, the team knows how to present information in a way that's palatable and acceptable, not manipulatively, but right. just in a format that, you know, you need to see it this way, then things work better. And so the process of work, which is what the value of a behavioral assessment, personality assessment is really about, it's the value of the work. Yeah. I just wanted to mention to you, though, that it, I can give you case after case after case where I've been brought in from the leader mm-hmm. to quote unquote fix people, yeah. right? And come, it turns out that much of it is about the leader and how they behave, not necessarily, the, it's a combination. So yeah. the leader has a lot of responsibility in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, tell me, how can people get a hold of you? CCLeeAboutNarrative.com. Great. And you're on LinkedIn, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's spelled C-A-R-Y-N. It's an unusual yeah. spelling. Karen Lee, but yeah. Of course, everyone attached to this uh, podcast, you'll be able to see or have click on to see her website and also to send her a personal email. Thank you. I can't believe, you know, we're kind of up. And I know, we could talk forever. I know. I know, right? And and we're just getting to the juicy part about all the things that go wrong. Yeah. As we've talked before, getting an assessment, you really need to understand the whole person. And so your assessment needs to understand from feelings to thoughts, because feelings generate thoughts, thoughts generate the story and decisions, critical thinking, and then from there, behavior happens. Too often, assessments or people who interpret them are focused on the behaviors, not going to, as you've said today, going to the feelings and certainly how they think about what they're going to present or what they're going to do. And it is that pause between feeling and thinking, pause between thinking and um, behavior. And those are check-ins to understand what your triggers are, to understand, is it what the person said? Is it how they said it? Two different things um, that I'm triggered on. And there are some tendencies for some folks but there are other tendencies that sit outside the assessment. And when you're assessing who to bring in, it's important to get someone who's skilled to be able to help you understand that trio of things, feelings, thoughts, and then behaviors versus someone who might only be um, focused on or skilled at on behaviors. Yep. Yep. It's fascinating stuff. 
I know. And it changes all the time. Oh, yeah. And it is hard. Like you said, it's hard. Yes. It takes work, to, but yes. it's worth it. Right. Yes, I think so. It, it shows up in the bottom line. And, and even if it doesn't show up in the bottom line, you can see it all. You can measure the progress all along the way and see how things are really changing, see how you're getting the value of it. And if that's really part of the setup, that's how you set it up. Yeah. So You've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper, music provided by Ivan G. Hall. Let me thank C-Suite Radio for hosting me on their network. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and always check out the other podcasts on C-Suite Radio the largest network helping and focusing on executives so that they can do better and be better. As always, let me know what you're thinking, what you're facing, and what you're struggling with as you try to close the gap, creating a pathway from where you are now to where you want to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.